I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 89. Here we are with another First Friday Q&A. This is going to be a tour de force. Have you taken your vitamins, said your prayers, done your push-ups this morning, Mr. LaCour? Uh, no to all of those because I got, I got in really late last night. <laughs> this is not normal for you. Are no, you going to be able to pull this off today? Oh, let's see after we finish recording, see what it looks like. See what it looks like. So but you, I'm you, going to give it my best. You're going to give it your best. You went to California and you flew through how many cities to get back? Uh, yeah, we had some flight delays because of weather. So one, two, three, it took me three cities to get home. So I actually got home today, this morning, <laughs> this about morning. 2 a.m. Yes. Well, yeah. you're a freaking trooper, man. Uh, thanks for being here. All right. <clears throat> we usually kick it off with shout outs and we got to give a big shout out to Roger Simpson over at Acker Solutions Product Line Manager because somebody saw something coming that came out in the news yesterday. Mark, didn't you predict the GE acquisition of Baker Hughes earlier this year, like around April or May, if I remember correctly? How the heck do you see these things coming? Longtime fan of the show, you and James are making a difference. Please keep it up. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Um, so I don't have a crystal ball. If you look at our predictions, we don't get 100% of them right. <laughs> you know, we, we get a couple of them wrong every year as well. Um, what happened is when we saw the Halliburton-Baker-Hughes deal get um, slowed down by the Department of Justice, it just made perfect sense because um, you know Baker-Hughes is a service provider. Uh, G oil and gas is, is a, a hardware manufacturing oil and gas that are that are turning themselves into a technology company oil and gas. So if you think about that, the the um, acquisition just makes perfect sense, right? If you have a company that's doing a lot of pump and pressures and um, field work, and and the and that work is now go uh, be moved to a technology sector, and you're turning yourself into a technology sector, and you make you know the blowout preventers and the trees and all that sort of stuff, it just made perfect sense. So this was um. Um, just conjecture by our part in the in the early part of this year, and of course, as Modal Point works, and and a big part of what we do is we go out and interview senior level oil, um, oil executives and understand what there's going on in their business. We started hearing rumors from the oil industry that this was going this way. So that's that's how we made the prediction. It's not that we have a crystal ball of anything. It it made business sense. We understand the industry, and then we kind of validate it by uh, internal rumors going along in the going around in the industry. Well, just to give you proper credit, though, we did check the record, and you did call this on the as soon as Halliburton and Baker Hughes deal was shut down on May sixth. So good on you, Mister Lacour. Yeah, it's um, it's it. We everything pointed toward this thing happening. And what was interesting, James, is in the beginning, you know, June, July, or so, GE was talking publicly about how they're not acquiring Baker Hughes, um, that maybe they'll do a joint venture. And it's like, no, 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 you're trying to keep the stock price down, right? You're saying one thing, but your, your lawyers and your mergers and acquisition people are, are doing something else. And, and we were right. Yeah. And I remember us talking about that on the show as well. All right. Let's, um, let's, we've got so many darn questions. So first of all, shout out to everyone who's listening, Mark, Episode number 88, I'm um, sorry, 87, uh, where was it, 88? Yeah, either way, it was our first show to go over 4,000 in a week, 4,000 downloads. Awesome. You know what, that's the uh, total thanks to our listeners out there, right? So without you, our listeners, um, listening to our show, it would be just James and I talking to ourselves, it's kind of scary. So, you know, a thank to each and every one of you. Yes, each and every one of you, and especially 
I know a lot of you have been rooting for more Q&A uh, shows, and if this is any indication and you keep the flood coming, we're going to have plenty of questions and we might have to to spill over because this is going to be a long one. So hopefully you're on a long drive or you're mowing the lawn and you've got a big yard or something like that because we're going to do our best to get through this in a timely manner, but we've got quite a few Let's kick things off um, before the Actually, question. Actually, James, let, let me let me kick this let me kick this first question off. Well, we, we've got to make sure that we that we mention the geo convention. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So if uh, you're in the oil and gas industry, you know you notice that the price has uh, slipped above fifty, and that trend will continue. Now it's time to spend your marketing dollars wisely. Um, one of the best things you can do is uh, spend your marketing dollars in a place where you can get your company in front of a, butter, a bunch of prospects. Uh, Right now, one of the best things going on out there as far as banging your buck is the Geo Convention in Calgary, Canada, May 15th and 19th. Um, they're a fan of the show, and they actually gave us a special. So normally, $1,800 for a 10 by 10 exhibition space, they'll give it to our listeners for $1,600. Um, they're also looking for two sponsorships opportunity for the, for the lunch, uh, which normally is about 10 k each. And this allows you to get in front of um, uh, all the speakers. It allows you to introduce the speakers, close the show. You have seat drops. You get uh, your corporate branding over um, uh, throughout the show and social media, um, and and also gets you a free table and eight seats for lunch. So if you're interested in growing your oil and gas business, do us a favor, do yourself a favor, reach out to Dustin. And that's Dustin at geoconvention.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Tell him we sent you his way and go sign up. And if you go, let James and I know because we'll be there. We're actually speaking, um, and we'll give you a little bit of free consulting uh, just as a thank you for for signing up. Yes, yes, and and so that that aside, and all, like you said, all of the contact information and the exhibitor prospectus and all that will be in the show notes at tribrocket.com forward slash tw eighty nine. So check that out, and let's get into his question. So go for it, Mark. Yeah. So the reason I'm uh, I'm reading this question is this is a question actually for James, not me. So this is from a Jason Moore uh, with a CanStrap. Um, I do business development for CanStrap, a lithology data company that has a massive library of strip logs available for purchase. Being that I am in Canada and I am less familiar with how I should be acquiring new prospects in the States, I have drunk the social media Kool-Aid largely in part to James Hahn's marketing nice podcast. Nice work. Nice work. Yeah. And I'm starting to create content based around my target market to generate inbound leads. For outbound, though, would targeting the geoscience team's leads for my um, product uh, be the best approach or should I consider any other part of the organization like their services department? Also, do you have any recommendations for how to find prospects that aren't on social media? As you know well, uh, our industry is slow to adopt, uh, which I think is even more true for geologists who are known for doing everything in a different place. Thanks for all you do. Yes, this is a great question. And um, well, first of all, it's going to start with with a bit of a sales question that is definitely going to be um, it's something I can answer and Mark, you can speak to as well, because whenever you're selling into an organization, you want to sell to the business and you want to sell as high as you can. And so he, he can you talk a little bit, first of all, because I'm, I'm doing a little keyword research here um, about the because he, he, he asked the question about, you know, what team do I go after? And yeah. realistically, it's going to be what executive do I go after? Yeah, yeah. So. The geologists actually use your tool, uh, Jason. I get that. I would suspect that the biggest driver is not the geologist. It's going to be the operations manager, right? The guy that's in charge of North America operations, Canadian operations, African operations, because he has a whole team of geologists, and they have to hit certain metrics. Um, if your tool helps them hit his metrics, 
then he is rewarded for it, right? His KPIs are hit, uh, his objectives are hit, his bonus is hit. So even though you're selling something that geologists use, I, I think your target's probably going to be the operations managers because they have the biggest amount to gain or lose if the geologists don't do their work properly. Yeah, and that's a key point that, that Mark makes there because it's who has the biggest problem that you're trying to solve. And obviously the person that's going to not hit his metrics if these guys don't get their jobs right that's the person you're going to be going after from an outbound perspective. But you said something that was interesting from an inbound perspective uh, in, the, in the context of outbound, which is how do I get a hold of people that aren't online? And let me just say that that doesn't exist. Even, even the guys in this industry who aren't on social media, everyone uses Google. Let me say it again. Everyone uses Google. Am I wrong, Mark? No, you're not wrong at all. And the other thing you have to remember is everybody uses email. Yes. Email and yeah, email and Google. So here's the deal. I went into Google AdWords real quick and using their keyword tool, I just typed in well logs. And so if we look at well logging is the first thing it pulls up, which is uh, low competition and just a background. Google ranks their keywords high, medium and low. You always want to go after low competition. But this one costs $1.21 per click, meaning if you bought that AdWord and got to the top as an ad, You'd have to pay Google $1.21 every single time someone clicks on that ad, whether it becomes a sale or not. Now, what we specialize in, and you know, we definitely do Google AdWords paid campaigns, but the low-hanging fruit, the stuff that you want to get out of the way quickly, is what, what, are the, what are the keywords that we can capture quickly that nobody else is, is ranking for? And so what is well-logging? That searched a hundred to a thousand times. It's low competition, and there's no suggested bid. Meaning, it's, this is a keyword that is just waiting for someone to target it properly and dominate that entire first page of Google. I've got thousands of results right in front of me right now. So, gamma log, cased hole, types of logs, horizon, uh, horizon well logging, soil boring log. All of these things are, are things that people are searching for. A hundred to a thousand people every month are searching for these answers online. And that is the answer to how do I get a hold of these guys? Because they might not be on social media. They might not even be on LinkedIn, but they're definitely on Google searching for answers. And we're hearing this from our, from our prospects and clients that even the old timers are, instead of reaching out and asking you know, long-standing relationship type uh, account managers questions. They're just searching for these things on Google. So yeah, and, go and James, from our end, we're seeing that um, as as a as a big disruption, right? Uh, the people that are out there looking for parts and pieces in the oil and gas industry used to have paper catalogs or Excel spreadsheets. Now they just go to Google and they type it in. Um, and James, correct me if I'm wrong. With that low-hanging fruit, where there's there's no um, dollar value, that's stuff you can capture organically with just a little bit of work. Yeah, just a little bit of work. You get your website set up properly. You you put the right things in place in terms of there's five or six things as far as what we call quote unquote search signals, air quotes, um, search signals into your article that you're that you're publishing, and you're gonna get get to the top of that really really quickly. Yeah, Jason. So uh, this is something that James did for us. So Jason or anybody else that's listening, type in oil and gas sales experts into your browser of choice and see who comes up. I'm not paying for that. That's me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's organically. I've captured that organically. Now, it's not searched for a lot. I think it's searched for 50 or it's so times. 70 a year. times. 70, a right? Month. 
But that means that 70 people globally, when they search for oil and gas sales experts, see me first and my phone rings. And we actually have too many inbound leads because of this. So you could do the same thing. Um, and and the, the, really, you should do what I did, which is reach out to James and have him train your team how to do this properly. Yeah. So there, there's that part of it. And then also you made a really good point, Mark, which is email. So once you get them to your website, what you want to do is you want to have a really good, what we call bribe. So I'm going to give you something in exchange for, for your email address. So you have to give something of value. It's not going to be a, a hardcore sales pitch. It's actually going to be an education piece so that when they get to your, to your site, it's the I don't know, the 72 things that you didn't realize were true about well logs or whatever that thing is, the thing that that's going to make that that person go, oh, my gosh. Um, And then they're going to they're going to give you their email address. And you have to think about this. A lot of people, I don't know about you, Mark, I have an email that I give to people I don't want to hear from. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So it's 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 something that you have to think about the fact that someone gives you their email and they they raise their hand and they say i want to hear from you on a regular basis they're basically saying please send me company send me information about your company weekly or whatever it is and that's profound and what you can do is you can continue to to deliver value continue to deliver content and the more you deliver that value the more content you push out the more trust you're going to build And from trust come leads, from leads come sales. So that's the way that that's going to work for you. And I'd be happy to talk more about that with you offline. So hopefully that helps. And um, let's move on to the next one. You ready, Mark? Yep. (laughs) Because we got a few. Mark Roberts, Physician Assistant Solutions, physicianassistantsolutions.com. I'm not an oil field professional. I'm a mineral owner. This podcast has been excellent for bringing me up to speed in this fascinating industry. My question is, if, you, if the U.S. is mostly light, sweet crude and our refineries are constructed to refine heavier oil from Canada and the Middle East, does it become financially prudent to begin building refineries that can use the product under our feet? Does it ever become prudent from a national security perspective to develop refineries that can process light, sweet crude? Thank you, Mark. So, uh, Mark Roberts, you say you're not an oil field professional? This question is something that 99% of the people in the oil field couldn't ask. So, I, I, so I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm shocked. This is, this, is not, this is not an amateur question right here. Yeah. So I say you are, you are an oil field professional. And it, what a great question. So what, it, what was going on um, up until just recently, we had an export ban on crude. Um, that came back from the 70s. Um, and it basically made it illegal for us to export the crude we produce here. So what happened is the refineries were very hesitant to spend the money to retrofit to be able to refine sweet crude because they didn't know if we could export the light crude we have here. Well, fast forward to 2016, we, uh, ex- we lifted the export ban last year. We're exporting our sweet crude. So now it makes fiscal sense to be able to refine the light sweet crudes that we have here. But here's the differentiator. The heavier crudes um, are a bigger technology challenge to refine, but you get much more yield out of them. Well, the U.S. has the most high-tech refineries in the world. So we can start spending money to refine our light sweet crudes, but we get a lower yield out of it. So most of the refineries have decided, you know what, we're just going to keep importing um, this heavier crude, which we get a better yield from, because quite frankly, nobody else in the world can refine this stuff but us. Now, I say all that. Um, um, Valero, um, Phillips 66, and uh, Marathon all are um, upgrading some of their uh, refineries to refine this light sweet crude. What they're doing is an experiment. It's like, okay, 
We don't get as big a yield from it, but if we're the only refineries in the U.S. that can refine this stuff straight up without having to blend it, can we make a profit? Um, it's too early to tell to see how this works out. I suspect that the, these refineries that are retrofitting parts of the refinery to um, to be able to refine the light sweet crude are going to figure out that it's just not worth it. So yes, you can you can refine the light sweet crude we have here in the U.S. The price is going up. It's going to stabilize between fifty and sixty dollars. And at that price point, I think the refineries actually have better margins importing the heavier crudes, which they can get a better yield from. Um, but this is a very deep, very technical question from somebody that says he's not an oil-filled professional, which I disagree with. But great question. So let me go a little bit deeper then. When you say we don't get a higher, a high, a high enough yield or, or as high, what do you mean high yield? So the heavier crudes produce everything you can think of that comes from, from crude oil. So fuels, diesel, jet fuel, actually rocket fuel, um, gasoline, all the way up to the lighter, the naphthas and the, um, the, the um, you know, um, methanols, all that sort of stuff. The light crew doesn't produce what is the heavy stuff, the jet fuel, the diesel, right? They can produce gasoline on up. So the, the heavier crews produce more products than the light crews do. Light crews, quite honestly, are, are good for producing gasoline and, and not much else. Got it. And I don't want to go uh, too far down this road, but you spent about, I don't know, at least two hours on the on a, a screen share with me sometime a year or more, a year and a half ago, maybe walking me through the whole process of, of the refining. OK, here's the <laughs> stack and it does this. And I don't know, maybe we need to do a course on that and sell it. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, but regardless, when we talk about refining, is it that there's just a lot more stacks involved uh, as, as far as bubbling these things? out to get the the right yield there's more parts and pieces involved because you're producing more products so so basically if anybody knows how they make uh let's say um i don't know whiskey uh you know you have a mash you ferment it the yeast converts the sugar to alcohol and then you have in that mash the solids the water the alcohol and you boil it and you boil it at the right temperature so that just the alcohol comes off and you capture that you condense it and now you have the alcohol which is put in barrels and turned to whiskey um, um, refining oil has a big piece of that in it as well, where you heat it and you capture the different distillates at different temperatures. Now, at that point, there's all kinds of chemistry gets involved. There's crackers, um, you know, which um, there's, you know, um, you can even pump that oil into coker drums, which is these massive amount of drums that rotate at the right temperature, which uh, turn pieces of crude oil into coke, which is what they use to manufacture steel. So it, it, it starts off as a bit of a distillery, but then it turns into this huge chemical process depending on what the end product is. The bottom line is heavier crudes produce more of those products than lighter crudes do. Okay, got it. Let's move on. Nick, oh goodness, Nick, why didn't I pronounce you? <laughs> why didn't I practice this? Nick Fedor Hugh, Fedorki, Nick Fedorki. Fedorki. All right, we'll go with Fedorki. Um, all right, Nick Fedorki, uh, Zen and Energy. Hi, listen to your podcast, and I'm a big fan. I work as a freelance commercial consultant based in Vancouver. My background is in renewables, but recently have been getting more involved in oil and gas. On a recent episode, you guys briefly discussed how small investors can invest in oil and gas firms and how you can act as a matchmaker between companies and investors. I'm working with a startup EMP firm in Calgary that is looking to raise funds for growth in Alberta. The management team is quite strong, and, you're, and in your podcast, you mentioned that it, effect, it effectively the number one criteria when looking at these opportunities. 
So I thought I'd reach out. I have a slide deck. Can I send it to you? If you think you might be able to assist us, thanks, Nick. What do you think, Mark? I think Nick's trying to sell us some, <laughs> but 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 he did it in such an open, generous way. You know, um, I like that. So, um, you know, actually, Nick, I think I'm gonna let James talk to this. James has gotten more and more into that investing, that brokering world. I don't touch that. Um, I have clients that are in the startup space every now and then, but I don't actually get involved in deal making. So James, another one for you. Yes. Um, so myself and, and Isaac Cohn, who is, um, goodness, uh, in, uh, Finium Resources, we have, a, we have a joint venture going where we're helping to connect investors with money, um, or I'm sorry, investors with, with opportunities. So sourcing assets and, and helping investors invest in them. The problem that you're going to have here is the fact that you're a startup. And being a startup, what, what most guys are looking for is performance over, over time. So the fact that, that you're new, the, here's the questions they're going to ask. Are there proven reserves? What have they done? How much have they produced? What's their success rate? Meaning how many wells have they drilled versus how, many, versus how, many, how much are in production? These are the types of things that, that the investors that we're working with are looking for. They're not looking for wildcatting startups that, that don't have any, any real proven track record. And that's not just us. That's, that's, a, that's a problem that you're going to run into in the industry in general. And so I'd be happy to look at your deck. Please send it over, james at tryrocket.com. I will absolutely take a look at it. But the question is, what are the deals that you're putting together? Do you have a six-well package in a certain area in Oklahoma or Texas or you know Calgary or something that... In Calgary is going to be a little harder because you're going to be talking about um, the uh, the sand uh, oil sands up there. But regardless, um, that that's what that's what the guys that we're we're talking to are looking for is is stuff that's producing and stuff that they can go in and operate more efficiently and um, and have have a certain amount of certainty. You know, there isn't anything guaranteed, but it's it's that long term track record. So anything that you want to add on that, Mark? Yeah. So Nick, in your question, you actually don't say what the startup does. So if it's not a producer, if it's not an operator, the other thing you may want to look at, especially if you're if it's a technology startup, look at all the major players. Look at Chevron, look at Exxon, look at Shell, look at BP, look at Anadarko. They all have venture funds internally. Um, Chevron's is called Chevron Technology, technology Ventures because Chevron knows that what they need to compete in the future is not going to be developed by IBM or Microsoft, the big guys. It's going to be a one or two man shop. It's going to be a startup. It's going to be an entrepreneur. And they're actively looking. I mean, they're literally tasked to go out there and actively look for new technologies that may help Chevron in the future. So if that fits your bill, that's another place for you to go look. And, um, you know, if you get uh, financially backed by Chevron and you're in the, and your startups in the oil and gas industry, that's kind of a win win right out of the gate. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big win. But the question that they're going to ask you in that situation is do you have anything patented? How long is the patent last? All that kind of stuff. So maybe watch a little Shark Tank and um, yeah. and and see the kind of questions that the sharks ask the, uh, the the entrepreneurs on that show. Because if that's your situation, then that that'll give you a little background into valuation and different things like that. All right, moving on to our next Nick, and he had mercy on us because he did not give us a last name. So um, <laughs> Nick is a VP Legal and Business Affairs person. I'm looking for a way to get into the oil and gas industry. I've been in I've been a business attorney for many years, both as an in-house counsel and private law practice, but I have not worked in the energy industry. I don't plan to limit my search to legal department positions. I'd include business development, land acquisition, et cetera, 
Just wondering if you have any suggestions, places to look that I might be missing, ideas of growth areas, etc. Thanks. Yeah, man, what a really good question. So, a couple of things that, um, if 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 I was uh, if if I was you, uh, what's his name, Nick? Uh, a couple of things I'd look at. So, one thing: look at large organizations that have a, a dedicated oil and gas sales practice, um, IBM, Microsoft, so on and so on. Um, that sales practice needs legal advice for contract negotiations, and they would actually have a spot for you, not as a corporate attorney, but uh, as an add-on to their sales team. Um, the other thing is, right now, um, you know, unfortunately, landmen, a lot of them have been laid off. There's um, you know, more people out, more landmen out there than there is work, but that's going to change, and it's going to change next year and for the next couple of years. A lot of the landmen have gotten out of the industry, and they're not going to come back in. So um, the um, what is it AA, AA what's this association of land AADL AA, whatever the association is for landmen they're actually AA, I think it's AAPL AAPL yeah they're actually predicting a shortage of landmen around 2019 2020 so with your legal background that would be an easy thing for you to step into and when there's a shortage it makes it easy for you to get a job and command big dollars so that's two places I would look at um, that you might not, not normally think about. Yeah, and to that point, if you if you're not in the industry and you're just hearing about let's let's talk about the practicalities of of being a landman because if you're used to sitting in a in an office doing legal work and everything, as a landman you're going to be grinding. You're going to be out there on the road, you're going to be sleeping in hotels, you're going to be having day rates and eating at, you know, whatever kind of diner you can find with whatever kind of quality food and coffee and so forth and the the thing that's really good about getting at in at the land man level is it's it's uh you can you can go any direction it's 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 kind of the internal heartbeat of the industry if you learn land you you could go anywhere with that so you definitely have a huge upside on that um but you're going to pay your dues on the road am i right mark no yeah you're right it's it's we're getting where technology is starting to enter that part of the market but it's very sporadic there's very few counties in, in the U.S. where you can actually go online and do the work. Most of the time, you have to drive out to the clerk or court's office and actually <laughs> read on paper, like go through paper and make copies. So it's just, it's it's time on the road. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely time on the road. You've got tools out there like Drilling Info that is going to give you a lot of access to a lot of that stuff, but you're still still going to have to be out there going around West Texas, going around Oklahoma and all the, all the different oil producing states. All right, Sadiq Ali, looking for work. James, Mark, thank you for taking my question. Are there any free or low-cost events that oil and gas professionals can take advantage of to network and find job opportunities? I'd say listen to the event section. Um, how about free affordable workshops to learn new skills? Can you share any you know of? Also, you guys are doing a fantastic job with the podcast. One su a suggestion, however, can you make it a bit easier to get to your podcasts, such as the Careers Podcast? I find it a bit difficult to navigate on your site um, uh, with a small suggestion, keep up the great work and look forward to your next podcast. I'm going to answer that last part and then you can go in on the first part. Um, go to oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. That's, we have the show archive for all of our shows and it's very, very easy. So oilandgasglobalnetwork.com and I'll get out of the way for you to answer the first part, Mark. Yeah. And I think the other thing is we haven't done an oil and gas careers pro podcast in quite a while. It's Our been a apologies. While. <laughs> it's, it's just, we've been so busy. We're, we're getting to it, right? It hasn't disappeared, but that might be the other reason you can't find it. Cause quite frankly, we, we haven't done one in a while. Um, so, uh, to answer your questions and this is going to sound like I'm self-promoting, but I'm really not, uh, run to my blog on the right-hand side. You can sign up for my oil and gas events newsletter in there. 
are all the oil and gas events that are going on. And we highlight the ones that we think are special. And also, there's also learning events. So like on um, um, Thursday, November 10th, there's a webinar put on by SBE about planning and budget process, right? It's free. And it's, SBE it's my, is? Uh, Society of Petroleum Engineers. Um, it's free, right? You can learn by sitting at your desk in your pajamas. And, and we try to put a lot of that stuff in there. Um, and as far as the events, you know, job hunting at events works, but you have to understand the process. You don't go to events nowadays with your resumes in your hand. Um, what you do is you go to meet people, and those people will then make introductions inside the company who might be the hiring managers. Now, I say that um, for the last last seven years, yeah, seven or eight years, OTC, which is the Offshore Technology Conference, there's at least one company every year it has HR people and computers sitting there in their booth and they're taking resumes. So there's one where you actually would want to bring a resume to. But it ain't free. Um, it, no, um, well, you know what, James? They sign up for a newsletter. It is free. They give away free passes. <laughs> true, true, true. And, yeah. and also, uh, if you want a quick sign up for Mark's newsletter, it's tribrock.com forward slash events. That's the fastest way. Yeah. So if, um, if, if I was you, um, uh, Sadiq, I would uh, sign up for my newsletter and then shoot me an email. And saying, which one of these are worth my time looking for a job? And I can say, no, no, yes, no, no, yes. And it kind of helped narrow that stuff down for you. Okay, cool. Patrick Cokes, he's an oil and gas engineer. James and Mark, this is a fantastic podcast. I'm a big fan of your first Friday Q&As, spreading the word to everyone and their grandmother, encouraging all to subscribe, download, rate, and review your show. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We got evangelists out there. I hope you're able to answer my question. I'm choosing to remain anonymous given the nature of my question. I've heard rumors from close contacts within the industry that Schlumberger has successfully drilled via a fully automated rig somewhere in either Europe or the U.S. Furthermore, the rig was able to drill over 10,000 feet deep from a remote location which served as the operational hub. Have you heard anything similar? Are, they, are there any other drilling contractors or oil and gas companies you know of that are working on automated rigs? And he has a second question. Let's take the first one first. So this is pretty cool. So uh, Patrick, we probably shouldn't use your second name, your last name, since you want to remain anonymous. But uh, Patrick, yeah, you're you're right on. It actually, I don't know about Europe. I actually know for a fact that Schlumberger um, uh, has done this uh, as a proof of concept here in the U.S. Um, you know, Schlumberger, when they acquired the TNT Engineering Services, that was the goal of that acquisition was to build a totally anonymous rig. Um, and and they have one. They have one in production. Literally, there's not a person on site. Um, and, and, and it's working. And, and is this something that's experimental? Yes. Is this something that is not going to lead to anything in the future? No, this is where it's going in the future. James, you and I talked about this on, on one of the past shows about how with machine learning and big data analytics, the people are removed from the equation. And, and this is where Schlumberger is going. And it's not just Schlumberger. Um, I know for a fact that National All Well is looking at doing the same thing. Um, the, the efficiencies that are driven are, are just monumental, especially on land. If you look at uh, big companies' EMP budgets for 2017, the ones that have released them, uh, globally, offshore, those budgets have shrank for 2017, but on land, they have gone up. And one of the reasons they've gone up is when you dr- throw something like a totally autonomous rig in the mixer, you don't need oil to be much more above $30 when you're making money. Yeah, and, and just to temper the, the, the fears of anyone, we've said this before, sorry to say it again, but this is not going to lead to the end of the world you know, just look at the the horse and cart versus car s- situation. 
you're just going to be paid a lot more to run these machines and you need to increase your skills. Yeah. So, so if you're, if you're a roughneck and you're worried about your job, uh, yes, as these uh, autonomous rigs go out there, there will be less or almost no need for roughnecks, but guess what? Somebody needs to run these rigs. Somebody needs to stay on top of them. So if you're a roughneck, start learning skills, start playing video games. I'm, I'm being very serious here, right? Start understanding, um, uh, uh, 3d, start understanding connectivity. You combine that with your hands-on experience and you got a job for the rest of your life. Yeah. Go to lynda.com. I say this all the time offline, but not enough here. I, I taught myself, I learned how to code websites on lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. But you can learn how to do 3D graphics animations on there. Anything digital that you would want to learn, you can learn on there. You can effectively get a college degree from that website for $30 a month. And yep. so, so just the skills, skills, it's all about increasing your skills. All right, let's go to the second question. Second question I have is how successful do you think the uh, Cameron Schlumberger combination will be? Was this simply a, quote, cheap way to show investors that Schlumberger is doing something now to appease investors? The reason I say this is because Cameron has been a poorly run company besides one sub C and its blow up preventer equipment, BOP equipment and wellhead offerings. It doesn't offer much value. Value is a competitive business that is dominated by Chinese low cost manufacturers and players such as Emerson who now owns Pentair Values and, value, uh, and Valve Italia. Thank you for taking the time to answer these questions. Please keep up the good work and keep those podcasts coming. No problem. No problem. We'll keep them coming. So what do you, I know we talked about this, so you can actually go back in the uh, on TriBrocket.com and just type in Cameron. You'll find the shows where we talked about Cameron. But let's recap for him, Mark. What was the, what was the deal here? Yeah. So, um, no, this wasn't something just to appease the investors. So this was actually a very shrewd move by Slumberjay. So Slumberjay, if you think about them, are a service company, right? Think of them like auto mechanics, right? They're a service company. They fix stuff. They have the tools and the parts and the people that can repair things. Cameron makes stuff. So think about Cameron as making the cars, right? So what Slumberjay did <clears throat> is bought a company that made the cars that they had the technicians to fix. It, it, it fits in perfectly. Um, that um, subsea service business, even this low crude price environment where the subsea manufacturers are dying right now and next year's going to be a bloodbath for them and they're going to suffer for the next 10 years or so, you still need service, right? If you have 30 trees out in the Gulf of Mexico somewhere, they still need to be taken care of. They still need to maintain. And so what Slumberjay did is put themselves in a position where they could tack, take their expertise into a new market. Um, because now they manufacture the trees mm -hmm. and the blowout preventers, but and they had the people to do to do the service. So this is a very shrewd move on their part. And I will agree with you, Patrick, that Cameron's not a very well run company. What happened to Cameron is it basically grew too fast. You look at them ten years ago; they were a great company. They grew so fast, so quick, and they grew a lot by acquisitions. And the acquisitions weren't integrated with the rest of the company. So if you kind of open up the back door and go look at Cameron now, it's a bunch of um, siloed companies that don't talk to the other each other they don't have um they don't they're not real efficient like they have no global supply chain right so each business unit has its own supply chain uh slumberjay is gonna fix that <laughs> slumberjay is very good at fixing that sort of stuff which is then gonna make the cameron machine run so much more efficiently it's gonna take them a while it's gonna take a shift in the culture at cameron which slumberjay is very good at doing but no this was a very shrewd move and i kind of kicked myself in the butt because i know slumberjay slumberjay prides himself on being a technology company in oil and gas and they like to make smart acquisitions and they usually test the waters first. 
And so when yeah, they this one was joint, surprising to you, I remember. Yeah, when they formed that joint venture, one sub C, I should have saw, hey, they're testing the waters, which means they're gonna buy Cameron, and it just slipped right by me. And when they bought Cameron, they kept it so hush hush. I didn't hear it from any of my sources. Like, where did that come from? So, you know, from a business point of view, hats off to them for keeping it quiet which kept the cost of the deal low, which made it better for their shareholders. Yeah. And so just to recap, if you made a certain type of 18 wheeler that only a handful of mechanics could fix, and then all of a sudden you went and purchased the the assembly line that created those 18 wheelers, you're going to be doing all right as a company. And that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah. And then, you know, whenever we release our predictions for next year, you know, we're in a long-term hydrocarbon abundant world, which means prices are going to stay low for a very long period of time, which means the operators are looking at ways to save money. So the Chevrons and the Totals and Exxons, one of the ways they can save money uh, is by standardization. So if you have the same company that services your blowout preventers and your uh, trees also manufactures them, that's automatically cost savings. All right, let's move to Gregor Morrison. Not that I want to, Gregor. (laughs) Um, No, I want to. No, I'm joking. G3 Backseat Partnership Process Engineer. Hi, guys. First of all, love the show. Like a lot of your listeners from across the pond, I've been gripped by the Trump versus Clinton debates over there. When So uh, so for the uh, first Friday q and I have a hypothetical question for you. If the United States oil and gas industry had a vote, which candidate would it get? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> See, the, you are, you're not so excited, right? No, 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 no. Let's just jump into this, right? So um, um, the truth is, it, the oil and gas industry will vote for Trump, and there's a reason. He has a very proactive oil and gas energy plan. He calls it American First Energy Plan. So, so basically, um, you know, combined, we have one and a half times more oil than the proven reserves of OPEC. Uh, we have more natural gas than Russia, Iran, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia put together. We have three times more coal than Russia. Um, the untapped oil and federal reserves is about $50 trillion, we don't need OPEC and we don't need their cartel anymore. So what Trump wants to do is open up all that federal land to drilling, work with our Gulf allies to, to develop a positive energy relationship as part of anti-terrorism. We'll use that revenue, all this extra money to rebuild roads, schools, and bridges and public infrastructure in the U.S. We will get bureaucracy out of the way so he'll take the teeth out of the EPA who's been a pain in the butt. Um we're going to re- uh, he would reject Hillary Clinton's po- poly- uh, poverty expansion agenda that basically enriches her friends. Um, we'll look at solving real environmental problems in our communities without looking at fake environmental problems. Um, so um, the, the bottom line is it'll be America and the workers that will benefit from this. He actually put together a 100-day action plan where he's going to um, uh, approve TransCanada. He's going to rescind all the job-destroying uh, executive actions that uh, President Obama have, has dropped in around the uh, climate action plan. Um, he's going to lift moratoriums on energy production in federal areas. He's going to revoke policies that place restrictions on new drilling technologies. Um, and he's going to cancel the Paris Climate Agreement. So if you're in oil and gas and you're only vote, voting based upon your industry, this is the guy to vote for. Now, the thing is, how much of this can he actually get done? Um, How much does he actually resolve to get done is my question. So because that's the, great the, rhetoric. Right? The problem the problem is in US the way US politics is set up, and it's done this on purpose because our forefathers were very smart, is that the president doesn't have as much power as you think he does. He has to get Congress to approve all of this. Um, we have a Republican-controlled Congress, but it's very close to being 50-50. Um, the Republicans actually don't like Trump, even though he's a Republican candidate. So do I think he can get all of this passed? No way. 
do I think he can get some of this passed? Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, which is which is the total opposite of what Hillary Clinton would do. So totally looking at this from an oil and gas lens, uh, this is the guy to vote for. Doesn't mean that's the guy to vote for him, but your question is looking at from oil and gas lens, who which candidate would, would make the best choice? And and this one's it. I'm gonna leave that alone right there. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that alone right there. Because even though Hillary says, you know. Democrats are really good at saying things to appease their base and then knowing where knowing where their money comes from, if you will. So I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, I just can't wait for it to be over. Me neither. <laughs> I just can't wait for it to be over. All right. Joseph Brody, Bell Helmets. Here he goes. What does James and Mark think of glass point solar thermal energy used to lower the cost of oil extraction? A friend of mine is looking to join the company, I thought that the green industry meets black is a very interesting and practical. Is very interesting and practical. Yeah, so this is actually a pretty cool company. What they do is they use sort of the whole mirror uh, technique, where you have uh, mirrors that are moved by computers to heat water to turn the steam to generate electricity. But instead of uh, using this to generate steam to to, to make electricity, um, they concentrate the sun's energy to, to to heat water and increase steam for an oil reservoir, which is actually st- uh, steam stimulation, right? You see that a lot in the oil sands. And so <clears throat> it's it's a very cool technology. And it's actually very environmentally friendly. Once you build this structure, um, it can generate steam for a very long time. No electricity needed. No, actually, really no people need it because it's all controlled by computers. Um, do I think it's going to be as efficient as the current steam generation techniques that are out there? Not now. Do I think in the future this may actually play a big impact? Yeah, I really do. I think this is the way our industry is going. Um, it's and and not they're not doing it from a worried about the environmental activist sense. They're looking at it from a business point of view. This and, and this when once this scales up, this is a cheaper way to do steam generation in the oil field in the right geology. Right, <clears throat> this wouldn't work in the in the um, the Brazilian rainforest, right? Because there's too much uh, leaf cover. So in the right uh, geology. This is something I think could become bigger and bigger, and it's it's really cool to think about using solar to generate steam to increase oil production. Yeah, that's it's fascinating. I'm I'm just perusing the article right now. It might be an interesting startup to get into just to to learn the industry from another angle. Yeah, well, the thing I would want to know, and I I only know at a high level what they do, but do they fall under the current federal uh, grants? Do they do they get money? They get subsidized from the government? Because they're a solar company, because they're a renewable company, or do they not get it because they're an oil and gas company? I, I don't know the answer to that, but that would be the other thing that would be uh, you know, really interesting to understand. Mm. Any other questions before we move on as far as uh, – w- let me just ask this. If you're, if you're looking at – because I know that you connect uh, James Gordy with a startup, and that's because you know the background of the people and everything. If anybody out there is looking for a position and it does happen to be a startup, what's one or two more questions that they might look at to determine if, if this is the position for them or the company, really? You want to see who the leadership team is. If the leadership has done, team has done this before, that's a good place for you. If they've never done it before, the odds are, unfortunately, they're going to fail. Um, in this case, uh, um, Glasspoint uh, got first-round funding, and then they had some nice investors that have been in business for a while, investors like Royal Dutch Shell. You know what, Shell, <laughs> invest in your startup? It's probably going to stick around for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, I noticed that. Okay, very good point. Yeah, Royal Dutch Shell, probably a good bet. All right, let's move on to Jarrett, the broke investor. (laughs) 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 Thebrokeinvestor.com. He's a novice investor. And as I told Jarrett via email, 
um, you know, if, even if you're still broke after we finish this this answer, no liability because we're not investing professionals. So has the oil and gas drilling and gas well industry IPN21311.S found its bottom? Also, how can I keep better track of oil uh, of oversupply and rig count? Can crude see 60 to 70 by the end of the fourth quarter? If so, will it be smart to invest in a small mid-cap drilling company? I'm a novice investor looking to jump into oil. Yeah, so the whole IP dot in blah, blah, blah. That's basically, um, uh, is it uh, NSYS code for industrial production? So it's combining mining, drilling, um, and, and drilling of oil and gas wells. So mining, I can't talk about. Uh, mining is very similar to oil and gas. I just don't touch that at all. Um, oil and gas, I can talk about. Um, how to better keep track of oversupply and rig count. The best thing for rig count is to get the um, Baker Hughes rig count app for North America. Um, it's free. It's uh, dynamic. That It's updated several times every day. Globally, you actually have to pay for it. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's one of the best ways to do it. That's what we use. Uh, how you keep track of oversupply? Good luck. <laughs> we struggle. <laughs> we we struggle with that ourselves because what happens is you can get very you get very accurate information out of Europe and the U.S. right that you can count on, you can bank on. Quite honestly, you get lies from China, uh, the Middle East, and Russia. <clears throat> and so what we do, we we actually track what they say, and at the end of the year, you can true it up versus what the reality is, and we create a mean. So we average out their lies. We call it the, the truth mean. And so that number is what we apply to whatever they say in the future. And as we go through time, because we're tracking the delta between what they say and what the production actually is, or oversupply actually is, we get more and more accurate. That's how we uh, predict what's going to happen with crude prices. You just get away so much, Mark. Yeah, People and need to pay you for this if they're going to use it. <laughs> and quite frankly, we missed it, right? I said we'd be back to 50 by August, and it took till uh, October, right? So, so we missed it by a couple of months. Um, can crude see $60, $70 by fourth quarter? Can it? Yes. Do I think it will be at 60 then? No. I, I, our projections are looking at 60, first Q of uh, uh, 17. Um, 70, we don't think it's going to get there. Although there's a lot of analysts, you know, much, much bigger companies than, than Modal Point saying that we will get to 70 by the fourth quarter of 2017. We don't think so. We think we're going to stay in that $55 to $65 range for, for a very long time, unless there's a war in the Middle East. Um, will it be smart to invest in small and mid-cap drilling companies? Yes, if you pick the right companies. That it's The oversupply and the rig count aren't a big contributor to whether you should invest in mid-cap That's what I was going to say. Those aren't yeah. really the great, greatest leading indicators on investment. No, no. You need to look at things that EBITDA cash on hand. You need to look at their history. You know, a, a, a small drilling company that's doing really well will make money, will, will make a good investment for your money, even when the prices are $40, $45, $50 a barrel. A bad small uh, small drilling company, even when prices are ninety or hundred dollars a barrel, or is it going to be a bad investment for you? So, do your research on the company. Look at their leadership team. Look at their past performance. Look at what they're doing in the future. Um, like I said, there's a lot of money that's being pumped into all the land plays for a reason. So, look for for mid cap drilling companies that are, are, are trying to capture that market. That's a good indicator that they know what's going on. All right. So, hopefully, that helps, Jarrett. And um, again. Uh, we aren't we aren't professionals here, so all liabilities on you for your investments. But let us know how it goes. Um, I'd like to hear if you're still broke by this time next year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ross Atherton, Ross Atherton from Ingersoll Rand. He's a VP of Sales and Product Management. 
My company designs and manufactures winches and high-capacity hoists for onshore oil rig applications. I have two questions. One, is there a good way to forecast new land rigs built for 2017? Go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a bunch of stuff going on, right? That world is changing. So there's a bunch of older rigs out there that you can get for pennies on the dollar, and you think, well, that's the first ones that going to come online. The problem is with that, is that newer rigs, higher horsepower, self-moving rigs can actually produce so much more than the older rigs that it actually makes fiscal sense in a lot of cases to buy the brand or, or pay the day rate for the brand new high horsepower rig versus the older rig. So we think at Modal Point that a lot of these older rigs are just going to go to scrap. Got it. All right. Two, what effect do ducks, uh, drilled but uncompleted wells, for anybody that's new to the show, have on demand for new rigs? Is it correct to assume that rig inventory used to drill ducks is still in place and will be used to complete the wells, therefore eliminating the need for new rigs to be built. Love the show and hope to meet you guys someday, Ross. Hey, Ross, if you're in Houston, just reach out. We'll go grab lunch or coffee or drinks or something. Yeah. Or come meet us at one of the events. Uh, we love to meet our listeners. Um, that's another interesting question. My answer to that one's going to be maybe. What we're seeing is the diversification of, of rigs. So it used to be one rig drilled, one rig did completions, and then they uh, left and went and do productions. Um, now we're seeing diversification where you may have one rig drill the vertical, a separate rig come and drill the horizontal, um, a whole bunch of equipment come in to actually do the multi-stage high-tech frack, and then a third rig to come in and do completions because they're specialized. Um, so, so I, you know, my gut tells me that the, the rig current rig inventory for all these ducks is going to change. Once again, I think a lot of them will be mothballed and they're going to bring in specialized rig, new specialized rig that can do a piece of the job much more efficiently, but they can't do the whole job. It just makes fiscal sense. Interesting. All right. Daniel Romero Saul from Schlumberger. He's a completions tech sales in Mexico South. Hola. Love your work and your, uh, and your inspiration. Oh man. Thanks. My question is, please walk me through. Oh yeah. I remember I replied and I said, you're going to have a field day on this one, Mark. Please walk me through a big data application in, in the oil business that actually has generated revenue. Thank you very much. My best wishes and looking forward to the 2017 predictions. Yeah, I've been giving grief because I haven't released the 2017 predictions. It's like, well, I said November. I didn't say the first of November. Right. Um, so, so, Daniel, thanks for the question. Um, James, you and I actually went to a private breakfast with National Oil Varco where their head data scientists talked about how they make money for the company. So I'll give you, a Daniel, a real-life um, a big data application in National Oilwell. So in National Oilwell, um, they have an issue with um, in, in supply chain where they don't always know where all their parts and pieces are. And the reason they don't know that is because it's in disparate systems. So the, the supply chain system that's here in North America is different than the supply chain system that's in Brazil, that's different than the supply chain system that's in Europe, which is different than the supply chain system um, that is in you know, Australia. So what they did, the way National Oilwell did it, is they set up this big data analytics group inside of National Oilwell, and they're self-serving, which means they go internally and look at other business units and say, hey, we can help you with something. And if they help them and save money or save time, that's how they fund themselves. And in this low crude price environment where National Oilwell is laying people off, the big data group is the only one that's hiring. This is how important National Oil has seen this. So basically, they were able to go in and using machine learning and big data analytics, look at all of National Oilwell's supply globally. And then figure out if you need a valve in, uh, let's say, uh, Chile, 
it may not make sense to ship one from Europe because of local content laws. We actually know there's one in Brazil, so we'll ship it from Brazil. So it's actually saved them millions of dollars understanding uh, where the parts and pieces are, understanding the logistics of moving them, including uh, um, uh, local content laws, and understanding things like downtime. So maybe you want to pay the extra $500 to get there quicker because you're losing $10,000 a day. That's something that a human just cannot do. They could not look at all those data streams at the same time and make a choice. And the nice thing about big data analytics is it never gets tired. It never takes a vacation. It doesn't lose focus. So um, there's one example. And, and, and Daniel, I, I am in the middle of this with my clients all over this industry. This is big. This is huge. It's going to become bigger. Um, you know, do not let your children become, and please, geologists, don't hate me for this, but do not let your children become geologists or geophysicists because machine learning and big data analytics is, is eventually going to eliminate the need for geologists. I've, I'm seeing it happen right now where the machine learning, the sensors behind the bit while they're drilling in real time is going, okay, I'm in the pay zone. I'm not in the pay zone. I'm in the pay zone. And a human saying, yes, no, yes, no. And the machine's actually learning how to stay in the pay zone by itself. Mm -hmm. So um, this is huge. It's going to continue to get bigger. Yeah, and that that's what I was about to say is that we've the good thing about it is that we've just barely scratched the scratch of the surface. I mean, we're not even in the Oh yeah, we haven't the industry as a whole hasn't figured it out yet. They know it's important. They're looking at it. I'll give you a good example. I was spoke at the Internet of Things for Oil and Gas Conference. They've done it two years in a row and they the, this year they attendance grew a hundred percent year over year, hundred percent. That tells you that the industry as a whole has an interest in things like Internet of Things. But nobody's figured it out yet. So, which is just makes opportunity for entrepreneurs, small companies, uh, investors, uh, smart people, you know, come help the oil and gas industry figure it out. And there's money to be made here. All right, friends, uh, our final written question from Francisco Zabert at Novix. He's a FB&A consultant, which is a financial planning and analysis. Um, not that I knew that. I just Googled it. Hi, I'm from Nikin, Argentina. Vaca Muerta's land. As you may know, the shale, uh, shale is in development in the development phase here and your knowledge mark what are your thoughts about the competitiveness of our oil and gas in argentina regards yeah so when you had ypf as a sole operator when it was a knock it was not competitive at all um the government has actually changed the the laws there to allow foreign investors to come in and so chevron stepped in um chevron chevron actually everybody stepped in chevron um exxon mobile uh, Petrobras and Total all have stepped in and made investments. Um, you're going someplace. You have some very rich shale fields there. The problem is the lack of infrastructure, which just takes times, which is roads and pipelines. But as long as your government doesn't do a backflip and, and, and as long as they allow foreign investors to come in, this is going places and it's bringing prosperity to Argentina. Um, you know, when, when companies like Exxon and Chevron come in and make a long-term commitment to operate there, you're talking about schools, houses, hospitals, roads, money. So it's, 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 it's looking great and it's looking up. It's just going to take some time. Um, now, um, um, YPF needs to be careful. Um, there's a bit of a corrupt, corruption stigma there. And the reason there's a bit of a corruption stigma there is that the people of Argentina are, are accepting of that. And the people of Argentina need to not be accepting that. It's not as bad as it is in, in Mexico or Brazil, but it's still there. So, you know, the people of Argentina have a, a, have a duty to help flush out corruption, which just will accelerate the prosperity of, of the majors coming in and helping in these fields. Yeah. So if you want to make your, your country more competitive, just, just uh, convince everyone else that bribery is not okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. Aaron Mooney, thank you for the, uh, for the audio question. Let's uh, go ahead and press play.
Hi, James and Mark. This is Aaron Mooney with Com Engineering. We're an environmental engineering firm based in Lafayette, Louisiana, with offices in Houston, Oklahoma City, and Colorado Springs. I'm the field consultant manager, and I'm currently looking at adding a degree to my repertoire. What areas of need do you see in oil and gas currently and in the future? Uh, what degrees do you think are overlooked or undervalued but will be in demand in the future? And given the generational regime change uh, and the growth in technology in oil and gas, what would be or could be a valuable discipline for degrees or certificates? Thanks again for a great show, and thanks for taking my question. All right, Mark, you heard him. What is your answer? We've got a great question there. Yeah, and James, notice the quality of his audio. That was really good. Yeah, solid. Yeah, so so Aaron, thanks for reaching out. So for some reason, Aaron, I think I know you. I, I don't know why. I don't know where. I think we've rubbed elbows somewhere. Um, but my answer is not going to be what you expect it to be. Um, my answer is to go back to something we talked about earlier, data science. There is an unbelievable need for data scientists in, in oil and gas, and it's not anywhere near being filled, and it won't be filled for the next foreseeable future. Um, they're demanding high dollars. They're getting and They're doing really important work. Um, if you don't want to go down the dot data science route, which I strongly suggest you look at, because um, it's also applicable to other industries, believe it or not, I'm going to tell you something you, you think I'm crazy. I'm, I'm going to tell you petroleum engineering. So right now, a lot of petroleum engineers have been laid off. They're never coming back to the industry. As the price of crude comes back, where there's going to be a shortage of petroleum engineers, and it's going to be a big shortage. Um, and petroleum engineers historically only worked in upstream with this growth in export petrochemicals, uh, ethylene crackers. There's also a need for petroleum engineers there. And then finally, if you don't want to get another degree, look at getting project management certified through uh, PMI. Um, the oil and gas industry has realized that the rigor that PMI puts on its project What's managers. PMI? Um, project Management Institute. Okay. So in oil and gas, it used to be that if you worked as a project manager, you were called a project manager, whether you had certification or not. And the industry is realizing that that PM certification is very valuable. So that's, that's a, kind of a third route. If you don't want to go back to school, go get your PMI certification, which is not an easy thing to do, but it, it has a lot of clout in this industry now and that will continue in the future. What about things like Six Sigma and so forth? Yeah. So that plays a part. Um, I, I, Lean Six Sigma would be valuable if you went and got a degree in project management. Those two together are, are, are a home run. Um, it would also be valuable if you had some type of process role, right? By itself, it's sort of like an MBA. There's Everybody has an MBA in oil and gas, and everybody has a Lean Six Sigma certification. Yeah, and I like what you're saying about, about, the, um, about data science because that's – not only is it is it going to be more of a need, but I mean the upside on the on the income there and how much demand there's going to be over the next ten to twenty years in growing, it's it's that's a that's a slam dunk right there in my opinion. Yeah, and yeah, and it's it's when I say there's a huge need, there's literally, and I'm making these numbers up, but there's literally a hundred data scientists in this industry right now, and there's a need for ten thousand. I mean, it's that big a delta. It's enormous, and it's going to continue to grow. All right, Aaron. Hopefully that was helpful. Leroy Grigg. Let's see what Leroy has to say. Hi there. My name's Leroy Grigg. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. I am the owner of Leroy Grigg Pipeline Service Company. I love y'all's podcast. I think it's a great way for me to keep my finger on the pulse of the industry. Uh, anyways, I'm out here supervising my guys on a startup job for a 24-inch pipeline, and uh, I figured what a better time to call in and talk about a couple things. Uh, 
Hi, James. Hi, Mark. Uh, it's Leroy Gregg here from Leroy Gregg Pipeline Inspection Service Company. Um, I left you all a voicemail the other day. Uh, unfortunately, on that tape, you caught a bit of an unruly moment. We had a little accident with my guy Randy okay. back in the <laughs> forklift into the pipeline, and we had a a little bit of an incident followed by an explosion and i just wanted to let y'all know that i'm okay and everything's fine i'm i'm in the hospital recovering and anyways my question for y'all was how can i expand my local business into the international market i'm looking for sources to expand my business uh, hope hope I can get some some good answers from y'all. I, I really love the show and hope to hear from you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> okay, so Leroy Grigg, uh, call it us uh, there from the uh, from the ER. Apparently, Mark. Yeah, those big cat dozers. You gotta be careful, especially when nobody's paying attention. Yeah. So shout out to Tom Brodsky. This is Tom Brodsky as Leroy Grigg. And how 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 creative is our audience getting, Mark? Isn't that cool? So, audience, if you don't realize this, this didn't really happen. Um, so he actually put this together for us to kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I think that's really cool that our audience is actually starting to make funny bits of audio for us. You know, and you start talking about things like a D11. <laughs> You're right in the oil and gas industry. If you don't know what a D11 is, it's one of the most popular uh, Caterpillar uh, bulldozers in the industry. Well, what's hilarious to me is that I listened to the second one first, and I was, okay, is this guy trolling us? <laughs> is he making fun of the show? And and what he said in response was that he was afraid because you said something about jackasses in the industry on one of the shows, and, he, and since I didn't email him back right away, he thought you were talking about him. Oh, that's funny. No, I was not talking about you. <laughs> I was actually talking about the jackasses that went out and cut pipelines off in protest. <laughs> yes, he said he realized that. So thanks for that. Let's answer his question. How do you get into, uh, how do you get into international business if you're, if you're a small business in America in the oil business? Because a lot of people don't realize you can do that. Yeah, it's, um, so there's, there's really two separate ways to do it. The easiest way and the way that most people do it is you find a partner, um, which um, uh, Tom, reach out to me directly and I can connect you with a partner in both Brazil and in the Middle East. And what they do is they go out and sell your stuff, right? Um, they know the right people politically. They have the right, right relationships. They understand the laws. They understand the taxation. And it just makes it easier. Um, quite frankly, for my business, Motorpoint, I won't do business in South America or the Middle East. I do business here and in Europe because I would have to have a partner to do business effectively in the Middle East and South America. Um, that's, the, that's the easiest and best way to do it. The other way is just work. Um, just like anything else, you find somebody in another country that has a need for what you do. You start a dialogue with them. You show them how you can help them solve a problem. You move to a proof of concept model first so the risk is minimal for both of y'all. And then once you prove that you can actually move the needle, you just go into business. Now, that takes longer, but then you own the relationship. The, the, the thing about using a um, partner is they own the relationship, not you. So 
if you do international work, as you grow at some point, you need a strategy where you actually start owning those relationships because it's just too big a risk for somebody else to own those relationships. Oh my goodness. The marathon. We made it through Mark. One How hour. One I, hour. I, did I tell you it'd be an hour? Yeah, yeah. You said it would be an hour. <laughs> Your predictive analytics are on point once again. All right. The weekly onion. We've got it in the show notes. Anthony Weiner sends apology sex to entire Clinton campaign. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, that's just not go there. That's <laughs> not. Although I did see a, a, a meme on Facebook and it was the Oscar Mayer Wiener truck had rear-ended the Clinton campaign bus, <laughs> and it was on fire. <laughs> and regardless of what your political persuasion is, that was funny. That's got to be – come on, it's hilarious. All right. Um, since we're keeping it classy, let's move on to Bulwark, our sponsor. Um, Bulwark has a winner. Can you tell us who that is? Our winner is Dana Zink, drilling fluids engineer at Slumberjay. Speaking of Slumberjay, you have won the Bulwark long sleeve two-tone base layer, the fashion accessories that's hitting the parish runways in the oil and gas industry. So congratulations, Dana. Danny. You are now, oh, is it Danny? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's oh, fine. We'll that? keep, no, we'll we're going to keep it. We'll keep it in. <laughs> Danny. All right. All right. So I'm sorry, Danny. You still won, whether I got your name right or, or not. If you would like to win, it's ridiculously simple. You go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's B-U-L-W-A-R-K.com forward slash podcast. Put your info inf- information in there and we pull one lucky winner a week. Yes. And, um, and Bulwark, great company, all kinds of FR uh, clothing. They're the largest clothing, FR clothing manufacturer in the world. Go check them out. All right. We've got around the corner so that we can be respectful of everyone's time, but we did warn y'all up front. All right. Events. We talked about how to get Mark's events email earlier, but trybrock.com forward slash events will take you straight there. Tell us about the API Houston luncheon, which is coming up on Tuesday, November 8th. Yeah, so what's cool about this is we're having a mini tech expo, so we have a bunch of vendors there, and the whole theme is European Energy Day. So if you'd like to learn about more about oil and gas in Europe, plus meet some vendors there, come join me. I'm there. I have to go because I'm on the board, but I'm there. If you go, hit me up on Twitter, and I'm, you come sit at my table, and I'll make introductions for you. Yeah, and we had the question earlier, how do you get a job in networking? API Houston is definitely yep. a place to be for that. Um, ISA Houston Section Expo and Chili Cookoff. Is this where I almost got in a fight last year? Yes, this is on a must-tend <laughs> event. So imagine a uh, imagine a bunch of um, 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 process improvement, process controls vendors in one place, but it's all family. So nobody feels like they're being sold to. So the vendors start drinking as soon as the people get there. And what they do is they all cook chili and they get um, um, measurement on the quality of chili. So there's a winner there. This is a great event. It's it's um, it's done in a dirt floor, covered place. There's armadillo racing, free beer, free chili, free entry. Uh, we're actually going to be there as press. We have a couple of interviews to do. Um, you have to go to this. This is blue jeans, cowboy hat, boots, just getting down and dirty and having fun with your oil and gas family. So come join us. I'm going to be there. James, you can make it? I don't think I can make it. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm booked on Thursday, next Thursday. So, okay. um, yeah, so, but pr- probably for the best, you know, given my track record there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so if you go once again, hook, hook me up on Twitter. If you work for a company and I have time, shoot, I may even shoot an interview for you and throw you on my blog. Yeah, man. It, it, it jokes aside, it's a phenomenal event, and the chili is you get all that you want. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right, first Friday Q and A. If you want to keep these things going, I would say that ten questions is pretty much um, you know the way to go for one show. If you want two or more, then. I'd say 20 and, and on. So just keep the first Friday Q&A uh, questions coming. Trybrock.com forward slash QA or send us that audio like we heard from, uh, from Leroy and, and Aaron. Reviews. We got one new review. Oh, my goodness. From our friend, the Broke Investor. 
this is this is how it works out. Watch, he's gonna end up winning something somewhere without, <laughs> without us doing anything. Right, he is awesome, guys. Very informative. Five stars. The broke investor. I'm getting into investing in oil and gas, and I use this podcast to aid in my due diligence. Keeps me up to date in the oil industry as well as natural gas. Um, thank you for that, the broke investor. We we greatly appreciate that. If you want to leave us a review, go to trybrocket.com forward slash tw reviews. Take you straight in the iTunes store where you can leave that review. LinkedIn group, talk about it, Mark. Yeah, if you like the show, go join the LinkedIn group. It's where we're announcing all our new shows. It's where we're announcing all our new live events. It's our oil and gas family. Uh, I've seen so many people help each other out. I've seen salespeople share contacts, right? Oh, you need somebody at Shell? Here, call this guy. Um, James has helped people doing uh, copy work. Um, I've helped people uh, get jobs there. So just go join the LinkedIn group. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, and if you're searching for it, it's Oil and Gas Global Network, O-G-G-N. That is the name of our network that um, you can find all of our shows there as well. All right, and then you get the show notes at triberocket.com forward slash TW89. What are the show notes, Mark? So the show notes, James puts a lot of work to make everything we talked about easy for you to find and clickable. So you go to the show notes, and it's always uh, triberocket.com forward slash TW and the show episode, in this case, 89. And it brings you right to a page where you can click on all the stories we talked about. There's um, James and I's contact information. There's our Twitter handles there. It just makes it really easy for you to follow up on anything that you uh, might have wanted to write down while you're driving or at the gym. Well, hats off to you, Mark LaCour. You made it through the whole show. Are you going to take a nap now? Uh, I, don't, I wish I could. I don't have time. I got other stuff I have to do, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I, I assume, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you ready to get out of here? Oh, I am so ready to get out of here. <laughs> so folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Edit at 56.